0: purple get ready to roll indeed this is the college and kimball podcast i am your host jeff burkhart thrilled to be bringing you our listeners yet another installment of the know your enemy big 12 preview series and we're not going to be going too far away from Manhattan today. We're going to be taking a look at the Kansas Jayhawks. Lance Leipold's bunch certainly seemed like it was starting to turn a corner at the end of last season. KU fans have been chirping a little bit more on Twitter here in the offseason, and I can see why there are more positive vibes surrounding the program in Lawrence, Kansas. We'll get into that and the overall outlook for the 22 season for the Hawks in my interview with Andy Mitz of the Rock Chalk Podcast. Before I play that for you guys, a quick Call to action. Follow us on Twitter at college underscore Kimball. And if you haven't had a chance to already, subscribe to our podcast on whatever your preferred app is. We can be found on all the major platforms. And if you have a few additional moments, we would certainly appreciate a rating and a review as well. With that said, I guess it's time to wave the wheat. Here we go. Daniels flushed. Daniels end zone. Caught. Kansas wins it. Jared Casey, the hero. And the Jayhawks find a way. Andy Mitts of the Rock Chalk Podcast is my guest. You can find him on Twitter at Andy mitz 12 That's Mitz with two Ts. Andy, I've got to say, it seems like for the first time in quite a while that there is some genuine excitement surrounding the start of a Kansas football season. I know enough KU fans to know how the general routine goes. And that is, oh, we feel like we might have a winnable game or maybe even two at the beginning of the non-conference schedule against an FCS and or low-level G5 team. But then we're just going to gradually turn all of our emotional energy over to the Chiefs by the end of September. It really doesn't seem that way, or at least it doesn't seem as prevalent. I think a lot of the optimism can be traced back to the way that the 21 season wrapped up for the Hawks. Now, everybody's going to immediately point to that monumental upset win over Texas, but selfishly as a K-State fan, I'm going to go back to the week before. The Wildcats go into Lawrence and thump KU pretty good. 35-10 to 10 was the final score, but from the KU perspective in that game, the starting quarterback Jason Bean gets knocked out fairly early on in that contest. He gives way to Miles Kendrick, who comes in, he gets injured, and all of a sudden, Jalen Daniels is taking snaps and closing out the game for the Hawks, and... At that point of the year, it's looking rather bleak as KU ends up losing that game by 25 points. And at that point through the Big 12 play, the Hawks were 0-6 with an average losing margin of 34 points per game. And then you're thinking, oh man, we're down to our third string quarterback. We've got to go on the road to finish out the conference season at Texas, at TCU. And then we have a home game against West Virginia to finish up the year. I think a lot of KU fans are probably at that point resigned to the fact that Well, it's probably going to be an 0-9 Big 12 season, and Leipold's probably going to be 1-11 in his first year, but that's not what ends up happening. This team rallies behind Jalen Daniels, who has just a Herculean effort in that upset win in Austin over the Longhorns. And I know a lot of people, again, want to put so much focus on that game, but to me, the subsequent weeks are what were far more telling when KU goes into Fort Worth and goes punch for punch and ultimately ends up dropping a close game to TCU, 31-28. to 28, And then they come up on the short end in their home finale against West Virginia, 34-28 to 28 in that game. This was a team that, again, had just been worked over thoroughly in all their conference games up until that UT game. But all of a sudden, the light bulb seemed like it was starting to come on. And there was confidence, not just offensively, but defensively. This team did seem like it was starting to show a level of competence that through the first nine games we just hadn't seen. Was it as simple as the quarterback change really sparking things, or was there a little bit more to it than that?
1: Well, if if you look back on the season for the Jayhawks last year, the big mantra going in, and this made complete sense when you, you know, are thinking about a coach who's coming in, didn't really have an off season to do what he wanted to do, um, you know, had to really kind of build and, and really continue along the way that he does things, which is to build around the players that he has, right? So if you're trying to adapt your system to work with your players you're going to typically gravitate towards something that you know is going to be consistent. So that if you're planning around your players, you know, for the most part, what you're going to get from those players. And then it's a matter of maximizing that. Um, to that end, Jason Bean was definitely the much more consistent quarterback through all of fall camp, through everything going on. And Miles Kendrick was there as well. I think what a lot of people recognize, myself included, that Jalen Daniels was probably the quarterback on the roster that had the highest upside. But he was also the one that had the furthest way to go to get that floor to where it needed to be. And so really the main thing that the Kansas state game did when both Miles Kendrick and Jason B got injured in that game, is it forced Jalen Daniels to have to be the guy because they didn't really have another quarterback who they felt comfortable playing long stretches of time. And that gave Jalen Daniels the opportunity against Texas to really show what he can do. And he showed why he was such a huge recruit, why Brent Deerman was so high on him when they recruited him, why he started as a true freshman, you know, under less Miles, because they had a lot of confidence in what he could get to. He just unfortunately didn't have an offensive line that would allow him any time to develop as a freshman. And so he came into last season kind of behind, I think, where a lot of people were hoping that he could be. And so, you know, it's one of those things where, in a way, Jalen Daniel, or I'm sorry, Jason Bean getting injured against Kansas State was probably one of the better things to happen to the Jayhawks. Like, you never want a guy to get injured but it forced them to start looking at other options to really kind of dig deep into the roster to, to, you know, experiment with more things stuff that I don't think would have actually happened at the end of last season. If, if being had been healthy the whole year, I feel for being, cause you never want to lose your job to an injury, but it is one of those things where, you know, they made it very, very clear going into the year with every single player that was on that roster that you are here to give everything you possibly can to help this team be as successful as possible. And as long as you do what you're supposed to do, and as long as you are, you know, doing all the things that the that the team asked you to do and the coaches asked you to do, you are going to get an opportunity. And that's what we saw. And, and so that's what Kansas is really looking at moving forward this year, and what they can build upon is the fact that they went through all of the, you know, issues that they had last year, all the problems they had last year, showed that improvement throughout the year. And they did all of this without having a full, you know, actually having any kind of spring practice under Leipold. If you really think about it, and, and I, I've talked about this with, with some other people I was doing previews with as well, like last year was like a negative one year for Lance Leipold. They were behind the eight ball the entire year. You got about halfway through the season, and that's when you actually finally felt like they had had enough practice time, had enough time working and installing systems to actually feel like you're at the beginning of a season because they didn't have all of those spring practices. So they had to use, you know, the stuff, the the fall camp to do what you would normally do during spring, which is learn all the like theories behind the scheme, how you want to do everything, evaluate players, all that stuff. And so the first four or five, six weeks of the season were really working out those kinks that you would normally be doing in fall camp. Um, so So you saw them playing against Oklahoma, they started to play a lot better. You know, they obviously still had some some hiccups here and there, and then when Kansas State came out and punched them in the mouth, and you know they got guys that were injured so so quickly in that game, it made it really difficult for them to go ahead and come back. That's not to take anything away from what Kansas State did, because they had a phenomenal game last year against the Jayhawks, but Kansas really did not have a good opportunity in that one because of some bad injury luck, and it ultimately ended up, I think, being one of the better developments that ultimately
0: got that season to where it was. Yeah, you talked about Leipold coming in. I I mean, we were talking about Leipold coming in in the month of May last year. And and at that point in time, also, you still had some COVID, uh, you know, lingering effects from COVID and in terms of contact with players and whatnot and how comfortable some guys felt being in face to face. I mean, y- you, you mentioned negative one. I, I've heard that term tossed around a lot in a national podcast. Uh, Leipold might even, even be negative two <laughs> moving ahead to negative one. I, I think he still is going to get a, a fair amount of time here to get things built and molded the way that he wants to. Uh, I, I did want to briefly come back to the, to that quarterback position with both Bean and Daniels on the roster for this season. I, is there a battle or is are the keys turned over to Daniels in earnest?
1: So Leipold will not, or has not declared who the starter is, but it's, it's really clear that it's Jalen Daniels job. If he, if he can, you know, as, as long as he doesn't mess up, he's going to be the starter. But the thing that can that Kansas showed last year is they like to have a guy who has the flexibility of playing from the running back position, but can also throw the ball if he needs to. They had that last year um, with uh, uh, I'm, the name is escaping me, but he also got injured in that Kansas State game <laughs> um, while he was running, you know, out out on the perimeter. Um, and so I would not be surprised if Jason Bean actually gets on the field, at, you know, as a basically a converted, you know, running back quarterback hybrid type of player. Um, I don't think they're going to do it a lot because he is he is very easily the first backup but a lot of how much like if you see him get on the field more and more during the season that means that the the other backup and Ethan Vasco the true freshman that came in with this recruiting class he is the guy that I've been hearing a lot, a lot a lot of really good things about you know in terms of the practices the way he's been coming along and he's kind of in a situation where you know they they like the tools that he has they like what he's able to do the problem you know is learning the system being comfortable enough in the system that he could run the offense if he needed to and so if he gets to be more and more comfortable throughout the year, I think that there's a good opportunity. You might see Jason being more and more as they get to be more confident that if Vasco needed to take over because Bean gets injured in a run, running back role and Daniels need to come out for a little bit, that they could go ahead and do that. I, I don't think we're going to get to that point this year. It's really like, they don't like to rush guys out if they can, they are not going to put a guy out on the field unless they are confident that he can give, he can deliver the things that they expect him to deliver. So I'm not expecting Vasco to get a lot of time this year, even as the backup, but it is definitely one of those things I would be watching Jason Bean and seeing how often he gets out there because I do expect him to have a decent amount of time out on the field in one fashion or another, whether that's, you know, Wildcat packages or other packages they have specifically set up for Bean. Um, but it is it is clear, I think, that it's Jalen Daniels' team um, that he is going to be the starter unless something drastic happens, um, and Leipold will not you know, say it at this point, because the big thing they have is, you know, talking about the competition at every single position, um, you know, and they actually showed that willingness, right? Because um, coming out of the spring preview, the big thing that they talked about and all of the coaching staff was talking about it was that they had some positions where they really still needed a lot of help. They weren't happy with what they had. They They singled out the cornerback position. And what happened after that is they went out and they got seven different transfers to come in. That could play in that defensive secondary that either were cornerbacks at their prior position or had played cornerback previously and had moved over to safety or you know potentially could come back so they got a lot of additional flexibility stockpiled a whole lot of extra talent and ready talent like guys that could play right now because they're from a college program so they have a lot of um or i I think that this team is going to be a lot different than most people think about from last year because yes, they are bringing back 82% of their, you know, returning production. Like they, one of the highest numbers in all of college football, but you know, at the most important positions where they had big problems, they actually went out and found a bunch of guys. So I'm not sure how well it's all going to come together. I'm not, you know, I've made some pretty crazy predictions in the past and, and uh, thanks to Philip over on the 1012 podcast, I, I made another one coming into the season, but it is also one of those things. Like I'm not expecting it to be them hit the ground running from day one you know and and ending with a winning record and all this stuff like but i do see a pathway that they could get a lot of pieces to come together be extremely competitive in a lot of their games and end up stealing some games that people don't think that they should be able to steal
0: you mentioned hitting the transfer portal and i I did want to touch on that here for just a, a a moment A lot of big uh, kids from Big Ten schools, Nebraska, Michigan State. Uh, The big one I think Kansas State fans will take an interest in is is Kai Thomas, the running back from Minnesota, uh, was the MVP of their bowl game in 2021. He elects to transfer, come back home uh, to the Sunflower State. Now, I'm... I'm curious to get your take on that position battle with he and Devin Neal. Guy Thomas is a very respectable running back, and I think that could be a nice two-headed monster. Do, do you foresee it being split out that way, or is Devin Neal still going to be getting a, a lion's share of the carries? It's
1: it's hard for me to say how that's going to happen because they have shown the willingness and the and the desire even to get running backs involved in the passing game. So I I still see that there's a really good opportunity that you could see both Kai Thomas and Devin Neal on the field together, but let's not count out Sevian Morrison, you know, the transfer from Nebraska who also projects pretty well. He did not have quite the recruiting pedigree. I think that, that the other two did um, specifically that, that Kai Thomas had, but he is a, a talented guy, a guy that I think is going to get some time. The Jayhawks are stacked at the running position. They have a lot of different options that they could potentially use that run a lot of different styles as well. Um, that's normal, though, for the Big 12 this year. Like, there's a lot of really good running backs in the Big 12. And we saw that last year. You know, I, I do think that it, it causes a lot of the running backs to be underrated, especially coming into the season, because, you know, everyone thinks of Deuce Vaughn and Bijan Robinson. Like, those are the two guys in, in the Big 12 that you think of at the running back position. But there's a lot of guys that really aren't that far behind them. Like, yes, they're phenomenal. And I'm not trying to again, I'm not trying to take anything away from them, but I do think that the vast majority of the running back talent in the conference doesn't get talked about the way that it should because of Bijan Robinson, how good he is, and how good Deuce Vaughn is. And it's, you know, I I I actually mentioned this over on the 1012 podcast that I was surprised that those that that, that running back was the only position that had unanimous all team, you know, all Big 12 first team picks in the preseason. Because of how many good options there are at running back in the conference. So, um, you know, Kansas, I think, has some really good ones. I do think that Devin Neal, you know, he showed that consistency throughout last year. He is, again, it's another situation where he is the clear starter, but there are talented guys behind that I don't think that the team would have and the coaches would have any problem with them actually being the guy that gets the line share that carries. It's just a matter of how it all works out. Who's the most consistent? And of course, running back is a position where you can get multiple guys involved. In fact, you probably want to have multiple guys involved so that you're not putting that workload on a single running back or, you know, so that people don't know that, hey, a guy's this guy's in here, he's getting the ball for sure. So, you know, go shut him down. So Kansas is gonna have a lot of opportunities, I think, this year for a lot of different running backs to get involved. Um, what's I think going to be even more important offensively is how many different wide receivers can they get, you know, moving. How many can they get involved? The fact that they lost some wide receivers and then were able to bring a few in in the transfer portal and and avoid losing a guy like Lawrence Arnold was absolutely huge for the Jayhawks this year. It'll be interesting to see how tight ends get involved in this passing game because I do think that Kansas has a few that people just don't know about um, because of kind of the way that people pay attention to tight ends in, in the Big 12 as well, but. It'll be interesting to see how this offense goes, how well they're able to really get things moving. And for them, it's going to be about getting into a rhythm, um, you know, and just trying to consistently get little chunks of yardage going down the field as opposed to having, you know, it's it's not going to be a quick strike, get, you know, three 70 yard bombs in a game to, to be able to get touchdowns. It's going to be ball control. Make sure that you are just chipping away little bit by little bit, getting on a roll, giving your defense plenty of time to kind of see what's going on. Um, That's how Kansas is going to win games this year. When they do win games, it's, it's going to be that control type game
0: you talked about wide receivers and i will not believe that kwame Lassiter is not coming out in the kansas uniform until i see it this fall it seemed like that guy had been in lawrence forever and a day uh saw that he was actually 12th all time in receiving yards in school history that's crazy but again he's he'd spent a fair amount of time there but uh, i'll be very interested to watch who gets the ball as far as the targets in the in the passing game goes and i guess at a, at a macro level do you feel like with with a a majority of the offensive line coming back, so, some solid options at running back, is the offense going to be able to expand what it can do? Because it seemed last year they were really hell bent on keeping everything very much. Between the tackles, put you in a phone booth, control time of possession, do we do we feel like we're going to see maybe a jump in incorporating some new concepts this year, or are, are we not quite there yet from a personnel standpoint?
1: Yeah, most most definitely. They actually talked about this during spring practices. This was one of the things that Annie Kodlonecki said, the offensive coordinator, that last year they were very limited because, again, remember that they preach consistency. If you can't do it consistently in practice, they didn't want to try to do it in a game unless it was like they had no other choice. And so a lot of times stuff was kept inside the tackles because that was the place they were confident in, you know, they got absolutely destroyed up in, uh, in Ames, Iowa. I actually made the mistake of going up to that game um, because I had, I know <laughs> a decent number of Iowa state fans and, you know, like, Hey, I'll come and tailgate. We'll have a good time. And then I'll go watch the game and Kansas probably going to get destroyed. I didn't think it was gonna be that bad, but one of the beat writers down here actually talked about how that was probably one of the, main defining moments because normally you get killed by that much and you go in and you know the coaches are talking about like what do we need to change like this was so bad that obviously something isn't working we need to change something and the quotes that came out from you know lance leipold and staff after that was look we knew that this was going to get ugly at times but we need to build this foundation and we need to work on this in a way where it's going to be sustainable for the long term not try to find an easy fix and so they were able to go ahead and do that and you saw the, you know, advantages of that part of that process though. And part of what they talked about is that this year in spring practice, they weren't spending nearly as much time trying to teach the veterans what it was that needed to be done. They were letting the veterans do their job, coaching the younger guys for them. And that makes a huge difference. When you have guys on the field that know how things are supposed to happen and can correct issues with other players that are on the field, that means that your that your scheme is being absorbed and that you can start to add additional things onto that and show new wrinkles. And I think we saw that both on the offensive and defensive sides towards the end of the year. And it was pretty much the only thing that they talked about during spring practices. So again, it's, you know, up in the air, how, how effective it's going to be, how well they're going to be able to do that. But the fact that they feel like they can start implementing these other things and they can start getting a lot more creative, is a huge positive sign for Kansas fans. And the thing to remember is, you know, this is Andy Kotelnicki, the guy who running the offense at Buffalo was able to in one year, I believe I, I don't remember the exact rankings, but it was like a top five rushing defense one year and a top five passing defense the next year, because the personnel changed. they were able to adjust that well to the personnel that they had and change the style. So I don't if, if Kansas is not successful on offense this year, it's not going to be because the coaches made a bad decision. It's going to literally be because the other team out executed them. And that's going to happen, especially when you have such a talent, overall level of talent that is as far behind as the Jayhawks were at that one point. It's definitely getting better. They're definitely getting a lot closer to where the rest of the Big 12 is. But even the most Homer Kansas fan has to realize that when you look across the entire offense, Kansas is at a significant talent deficit to almost every other team in the big 12. Um, you know, you can look at positions. You can look at individual players who would fit in on a lot of other teams. But if you just look at the overall level, Kansas still has room to make up, but I have to feel really good about where they are and how well they're able to do that and how well this coaching staff has shown the ability to be able to minimize that effect on how the game goes and keep the team engaged.
0: You Nowhere know to go but up, really. Statistically speaking, for for the for the Jayhawks, uh, last in the Big 12 last year in scoring, just over 20 p- uh, points per game. Uh, last in the Big 12 in passing offense, last in total offense. Uh, again, uh, upward trajectory though, and and you saw it. They they were putting points on the board at the tail end of the season, and we you you've touched on it ad nauseum. This was still a a, a coaching staff and a, and a and a team a roster that was so far behind the eight ball in terms of concepts and install and and game planning and everything. You're really just talking about doing really basic fundamental things so early on in the season, and now we can actually start talking about playing the chess match that is football. And, and I, I guess to pivot and look to the defensive side, again, another unit where nowhere to go but up, just t- looking at statistics from the previous season, a lot of experience coming back. But I guess w- where are the areas uh, of most concern? What do we need to see get shored up most to make this a much more competent unit here in 22?
1: As it's been for quite a while, and honestly, as it is across the entire Big 12, the secondary is always a concern. And, and that's across the entire conference because you do have, you know, a lot of teams that that are able to throw the deep ball um, and then just consistently being able to shut down those deep ball threats throughout the game has been a problem for a lot of people. Kansas, I think more than most people. And that's where you have to worry. That's why it was so refreshing to hear them actually, you know, talk about that at the end of uh, the When Les Miles was here, when David Beatty was here, when Charlie Weiss was here, they would say, yeah, we got problems, but we're pretty sure we know how to fix them. Like they would talk about (laughs) all of these things, right? Like how they were going to go ahead and get all of the stuff figured out before the season started. We didn't hear that from my and staff. We heard these are the issues we've identified. We have a way that we think we can address it, but people really have to go ahead and get it together and they're going to have to, you know, like we're going to have to find ways to help them get better. And uh, it's that that refreshing honesty, right. About what it is. They don't shy away from what they have to do, but they're not going to sugarcoat it and pretend like it doesn't matter. Like, and, and, and it's not an issue or that they for sure know how to do it. And so I think a lot of it is setting expectations for this year. I think the defense will be better. You have Gavin Potter, who is, you know, shoring up the middle there. Lonnie Phelps is transferring in. He is actually a player that I think is poised for a really big breakout year um and i was actually talking with a uh, college football winning edge they do like a rating system and they like look at all the stats and everything he actually has, has Lonnie Phelps identified as one of like his potential breakout players this year so it's interesting to see him come in and potentially make that big of a difference be, it, that will be interesting to see i'm not worried about the linebacker position which is a little weird as a Kansas fan right because under Les miles like people were throwing five yard passes all over the place because the the linebackers couldn't do anything. And that was a, a combination of injury and then just playing a bunch of young guys that weren't ready for it. Um, but this year I am I am also a little bit worried about the defensive line. Kyron Johnson was all over the place last year. And it's not that I think that Kansas's defensive line stable of players is bad by any means. I just don't think they have a guy for sure who you have to worry about that can move along the line, that can cause a lot of problems, can disrupt the opposing offensive line like a Kyron Johnson did. You know, or like a Daniel Wise or a Dorrance Armstrong did in, in years past. Um, Caleb Sampson is a guy that I think they're expecting to be able to do that sort of thing. But we also haven't really seen it to the degree that you would need to see to be super comfortable going into the year. So that's that's an area that I'm looking for is how well can that defensive line really kind of, you know, handle what it is that they want to do. Unfortunately, Kansas has a very bad habit of losing a lot of really good defensive linemen. They had three of them transfer out, you know, after Les Miles' first year, guys that were freshmen that had played a lot that were expected to really kind of step up and take over. Um, so they, they're they a little depleted there, but I think they have guys that they feel good with. It's just a matter of scheming and using the absolute strength that they have at the linebacking position and the safety position to really help to shore up the cornerback, um, you know, I wouldn't say lack of depth, but the the uncertainty at cornerback right now because of all the new guys and because of how bad it was last year, and then really use those linebackers to reinforce the defensive line to make sure that that front seven is really strong
0: we didn't even talk about Kenny Logan, the, the, the one and only uh, Kansas Jayhawk on the first team, all big 12 uh, preseason ballot, but uh, he's a stud there on the back end. And obviously a guy that everybody's going to look to uh, for leadership, for direction and everything in between. And also you you touched on Lonnie Phelps, the Ohio transfer DN excited to see what he can do. You you talked about too, needing to replace Kyron Johnson, who uh, again, so many fans, K State fans in particular are so dismissive of anything that is Kansas football, which is unfortunate. But watching that guy play, the desire was there, the effort was there, the results were there. He led the team in sacks last season. He was a productive player, and just you, you can't just be so dismissive of him because of the name on the front of the
1: jersey. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things where unfortunately Kansas has every single year had probably three or four guys. That if they were on any other team where the where the team surrounding them was even average, that they probably would be getting talked about as, you know, um, potential like semifinalists for for awards or really like decent opportunities to get drafted or things like that. Uh, unfortunately, they're just like, you know, you have a guy like Kyron Johnson and not very much around him. You know, you've you've had years where you have a guy like a Steven Sims Jr. on you know the offense where he is like the main threat. For that entire offense or like a puka williams at running back but the offensive line can't really block for him and so you can identify guys who are extremely talented and would be really good at other positions or at, at other schools but they just don't get to put up the stats at a place like kansas because of the overall level of talent kansas has had quite a few guys like that in defensive secondary as well in the past but they just don't get the recognition that they deserve or don't have an opportunity to show what they can do you know, or at least show to the degree, like guys like Ben Heaney, who played linebacker for, for the Jayhawks. Um, you know, you can talk about Jay Deneen, like you can talk about a lot of different players who were really good players, but they just didn't have the guys around them to really allow them to show and to shine the way that you would expect really good players to Kyron Johnson was again, another one of those. He, he impressed a lot of people at the Reese senior bowl because of what he was able to do. And those are things he had been doing all year, but because nobody was really paying attention to Kansas except for you know the fact that Kansas beat Texas, which I still will remind every single person as many times as possible. Um Do it. like that's the first time that people started paying attention to KU that last year. Like they were like, Oh man, Kansas almost beat Oklahoma, but all anybody wanted to talk about with that Oklahoma game was the Caleb Williams forward fumble where he you, you know snap snatched the ball out of his running back's hands, which I'm 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 not bitter about at all. No, no. Um <laughs> but no, like, <laughs> like There was a couple of different things, but like nobody really gave Kansas, you know, a serious look in terms of looking at the players and truly evaluating the players. Um, You know, I I can't I can't count the number of times where I read, you know, uh, NFL sports sites who were looking at Kyron Johnson and they're like, yeah, he's probably not going to go high in the draft. But for the most part, every team saw a place that they could use him. Um, whether it's on special teams or, you know, use them like the Eagles are the ones that ended up drafting him. And I think he's actually going to like make the roster and have an opportunity to play on defense, not just on special teams with, with the Eagles this year. I talked with the, the Eagles guy, um, that runs the SI fan nation site that covers the Eagles. And it was one of those things where it's like, you know, there are good opportunities for Kansas players to make those sorts of impacts. They just haven't been able to do it at the, at the college level to where people are actually recognizing that.
0: And it's so tough, too, when you mention it, when there's glaring roster deficiencies at potentially every other position outside of your own. It's it's hard to kind of see the forest for the trees. If you're a scout, if you're somebody just object, you know, an impartial viewer just watching a team, it's it's tough to see that and project out and, and recognize. or even that.
1: when your offense is just so bad that the defense <laughs> is dog tired, you know, like two minutes into the third quarter and then they play like crap the rest of the year, like sure. or the rest of the game like that happened to a Kansas defense so often. During the David Beatty years where they had a lot of good defensive players, they had a really good defense and you would see it every single year or every single game Kansas would go into halftime really close. Making it look like, hey, this is going to be a competitive game. And then they would get the start of the third quarter and the other team would take off because the defense was so exhausted. They did not have the ability to keep up with them because the offense would literally go three and out, three and out, three and out. Ooh, hey, we got a first down, three and out, three and out. Like it's it was that inept. And so you can see where a team game like this, where players or even entire units don't get evaluated correctly because of all these factors outside
0: of their control. Now. I wanted to talk, I guess, before we wrap things up here and just talk about the this, the potential record for this upcoming yeah. season. Do do Kansas fans feel that they got it right this time with Leipold? I mean, Kansas, and, and they've tried everything. They 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 tried getting the up and coming coach in Turner Gill. They tried doing the the retread and Charlie Weiss, and then they tried getting the hot shot recruit. Like they've they've tried every trope of a coordinator of a coach uh, and and it's just not none of it's ever worked out do they really feel that they have their guy this time and and, and i guess the other question to piggyback off of that is will the patience be there to wait this out for five maybe even six years to get to a point where we're not just talking about competence but when we're talking about a team going into each year that that is going to be contending to win five six games make it to the bowl game and 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 so
1: Well, it's, it's funny because you you talk about the string of coaches that they've had. And, and I think the confidence in what's happening now isn't even as much about the head coach. It's more about the athletic director, because if you go back to when Mark Mangino, the last really competent head coach that Kansas had was here, he butted heads with athletic director Lou Perkins, who, oh, by the way, after he ran Mangino off, which, you know, you can have a debate about like what Mangino did, whether that was as big of an issue as people made it. It basically came down to Mangino stopped winning and there was enough questions kind of surrounding that it made it re- really easy for Perkins to get rid of a guy who he did not see eye to eye with. Um, Lou Perkins was gone the next year because of a, athletic, or a basketball ticket scandal, um, along with some other things that he was doing while he was the athletic director. And since then, Kansas athletic directors have really not like Shane Zinger was a, was a good athletic director for what he tried to do, but he was not effective in the way that he needed to be, especially with head coaching hires for football. And so it was one of those things where, you know, whether it's incompetence or just not understanding what needed to happen at the athletic director level really made it difficult for Kansas to stabilize football program. Jeff Long was probably you know while while a lot of Kansas fans were were happy to have somebody who was that confident, you know and it made them feel good about themselves, I think everybody can recognize that Jeff Long was an absolute disaster running the athletic department, um, getting less miles, and of course, everything that came out after that, um you know it was absolutely not the right move to be have made. I understand why people were excited. I was excited to have less miles because you know it 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 immediately brought up the profile. people were actually paying attention again. Um, And it was one of those things where, like, he's a fun guy to listen to. He's a fun guy to root for. Um, But it became pretty clear pretty quickly that he did not understand what was happening here. It has been extremely clear since the day that Leipold stepped on campus that he knows how big of a deal it is, like how difficult it's going to be to actually rebuild this. And it's one of those things where we have, you know, you talk about the teams that have made miraculous turnarounds in really short time periods. And it's not usually that the coach is anything super special. Like it's not very often that a coach will get someone turned around and then go on to a super high profile job and be extremely successful. It's they understand the context of where they are. They understand how big the job is that they have to do, and they find the ways to hit the right buttons. And it feels like Leipold isn't in that sort of situation, obviously There's still a lot that has to happen for it to actually get those results, and it's not a guarantee that just because he understands what he needs to be doing that he's going to actually be successful, but you at least now can say with a straight face that the person who is leading the program and the program that he is putting together has the building blocks necessary in order to be able to get back to a respectable football program. Again, there's a lot of things going against Kansas just because of how far they've fallen, but to feel like that's actually a possibility to talk about is something that is refreshing as someone who covers the Jayhawks. It's absolutely exciting as a fan. And it is definitely one of those things where, um, you know, especially when you, when you account for the fact that, um, you know, Lance Leipold and Jeff Munkin, both were extremely interested in the job. Um, You know, Kansas got a little bit fortunate with the timing, which made it a little easier because there was no competition for them in trying to get coaches. But, you know, Kansas has been a desirable job. A lot of these guys Or there was a lot of people that were interested back when Les Miles was hired as well and so it's one of those things where you know Kansas is a job that I think a lot of people would be happy with but Kansas has made really bad decisions on hires in the past and so being comfortable with Travis Goff the way that he is running the program the way he's running the athletic department as a whole um, you know is absolutely fantastic and that has spilled over into a lot of the other things that he's done that's the biggest issue if you're someone who has followed kansas athletics at all is that you can trace most of the problems for the program back to the athletic director position which then fed down into all the football program
0: certainly seems like brighter days are ahead uh in lawrence kansas and that being said um i wanted to wrap things up here and just ask you for your prediction on the 2022 season i i know just looking at the schedule that Houston game and West Virginia both on the road right pretty much right out of the shoot not ideal but in the same breath you come back home after that and you catch duke iowa state tcu those are three games that i would think you you're looking at as a kansas fan and you're thinking to yourself you know could we get two of these maybe and now granted you look at the back half and it, it's probably going to be five of the six to, or rather, top five or six schools in the final Big 12 standings, and going at Baylor, at Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, at Tech, Texas, and then wrapping up at K-State. So the back half going to be tough, but I, I do think there's an opportunity for Kansas to make some hay early, and and you know just see what what happens. You know, going down that home stretch. What what, what do you see gun to the head as uh, the Jayhawks record this season?
1: You know, it's actually kind of funny because I've gone back and forth. Um, I mean, I, I do see a fairly big range of possibilities, but it is one of those things where the way that this team is coming together, the way you're talking about the consistency and what we've seen from the, you know, towards the end of last season can give you a lot of hope. Um, like, like I was saying earlier in the episode, you know, uh, Philip Slavin over at the Ten Twelve podcast was asking beginning of this year, back in January for some, some, uh, bold predictions for 2022. Um, and while I, I didn't do absolutely fantastic with my bold prediction that, you know, the Big 12 was going to get three Final Four teams, um, you, know, they, they, you know, Kansas kind of made up for that by actually winning the title and bringing that home for the Big 12 two years in a row. But, um, you know, the other one that I did make, I actually had said, and, and I know that your, your uh, listeners are absolutely going to hate this, but I had said that I actually see my bold prediction is that Kansas final week of the season goes into Manhattan, wins that game to become bowl eligible this year. So, yes, I realize that that sounds crazy. And and honestly, I am fully. <laughs> prepared. Yes, I am fully prepared for that to be wrong. But it is also one of those things that is far enough inside the realm of possibility that it's not like an immediate. Oh, my gosh, you're you're an idiot. Um, you know, I will remind everybody that I was the person that for a year and a half was hammering the Kansas is going to beat Texas before they were able to go down into Austin and get that win last season. So I am uh, I have a decent track record on my bold predictions, but it, I mean, it's, it, it's one of those things, even just looking objectively through the schedule, right? Tennessee tech is a game that you have to think Kansas is going to win. Like you'll get that one. Yeah. If, if they don't get that one, then the rest of the season is, I mean, I wouldn't say lost, but it means that the, the rebuild is going to take a lot longer than anybody even hoped for. Um. But so, so you have that home game against Tennessee tech. I don't like, West Virginia is a team that is so up and down and you have to wonder what's going on with all the uh, the offseason issues that they've had. They're bringing in JT Daniels. You have like there is a lot of question marks for that West Virginia team or that early in the season. And so while I'm not going to guarantee that they'll go in and win that game, I do think they have a really good shot to win it. So if we're thinking about possibilities for the Jayhawks here, you know, I think they have a they're going to win that Tennessee Tech game because I, I can't really imagine anything else. They have a really good shot in that West Virginia game. I I would assume that they're going to lose that Houston game, but it's not like Houston is a a super powerhouse. But again, like, I'm not saying that they're going to beat Houston. I I would be shocked if they actually beat Houston, but um, you know, Duke, they should be favored in that game against Duke. Uh, And no matter, no matter what anybody tries to tell me right now, Duke is, you know, has a brand new head coach. They have a lot of issues from last year and Kansas was actually competitive in that game, you know, out in Durham. And so they're playing that game at home. You have a good shot in that one. kind of like you said, Iowa State, you know, they have their own questions. Again, I would pick Iowa State to win that game if I'm picking it right now, but it's a possibility. TCU has a ton of questions. I'm not really sure what's going on with them, and I'm not nearly as convinced as a lot of people are that they're going to be really good this year, and so I think that KU is is going to win that game. Um, You know, we can joke all we want about Texas, but, you know, it is one of those things where I have consistently said, I will not believe that Texas is back in one of the best teams in the big 12 until they can actually do it and do sure. it more than once. Um, you know, so it is one of those things where, while yeah, you have to think that they are going to be fired up for that game and Kansas is not going to be able to surprise them in that game. I'm still not convinced that Sark is able to put that entire thing together. Now, again, if I'm picking it now, I probably would pick Texas wins that game, but it's definitely a possibility for Kansas, especially when it's at home. Uh, the game against Texas tech, again, that is end of the season, but that is a game that I think the Jayhawks could win um, because, you know, uh, head coach name, I completely forgot, Joey, uh, yeah, McGuire, Um, like, I think he's going to be a really good coach, I think they got absolutely the right guy, and that Texas Tech is going to get good, you know, and it probably won't take a really long time for it, but it is still year one for a, you know, a first-time head coach in the Big 12, trying to deal with everything going on there, Um, and there's, definitely questions about Texas Tech offensive line because they've had so many quarterback injuries. You can't, you know, chalk all of those up to freak injuries. Um so it'll be interesting to kind of see what Texas Tech does this year. And again, it's one of those because it's so late in the season, I'm not really sure um like what the expectations are going to be going into that game. But that's one that if you're talking about it right now, you know, if if they were to line up today and play, I think Kansas would probably be favored in that game because Texas Tech has a lot of questions, like a lot of questions right now. Obviously we have a lot of time. It's not until November, but that is a game that I think the Jayhawks could win. So like I'm going through all of these and I think that there are enough games that, especially if the improvement is as real as we think it is, if Jalen Daniels is as good of a quarterback, as we think it is and the guys they got in the transfer portal are able to make an impact. Like, like, it seems like they're, they potentially could that Kansas has an opportunity here and it's, and it's going to come down to the end of the season. Um, I am, I have been on the record over on the 10-12 of saying that I am not nearly as sold on Adrian Martinez as quarterback for K-State as a lot of people are. Um, And and honestly, that's kind of the big thing, right? Like the the big changes that were made for Kansas State are ones that looking from the outside, it's hard for me to understand how it makes that much of a difference for Kansas State. I do think Kansas State is going to be a good team. I also happen to think that Big 12 is going to be a muddled mess this year. I would not be shocked. If, you know, first and 10th, there's like a little bit of separation from those. And then two through nine, everybody's within like two games of each other. Like it's going say- to be, it's going to be a dogfight. It's going to be absolutely brutal. Um, I don't think that it is um unreasonable to wonder if, you know, Kansas state is going to be able to stay out of that dog pile like everyone else. And once you get there, like it's one of those things I, I look across the entire big 12 there is not a single team that I that I look at them and say, I think they're going to win every single game against every other team because they're better than every other team. I, I you know I think I think there are definitely teams that that every other team is probably better than and will match up well against. But I just don't see. I also don't see a team that I look at them and say there's no way they're going to be able to win a game in the Big 12 this year. And and so it, it, to kind of be able to you know stratify the conference in such a way where you can feel super confident of where someone's going to end. I think you have to get to a point where you have super strong opinions about how good or how bad individual players are in individual teams. And there's just a lot of questions for a lot of teams in the Big 12 this year.
0: I wholeheartedly agree with you. And I I would not be stunned at all if there's maybe one or two, six and three teams, but maybe there's four or five teams that are five and four, four and five in the league standings. I, I think, that, as you said, it is going to be a giant cluster this year, and I think it's going to be a fun race. And and that's something I don't think we've really been able to say the, the last few years talking about the Big 12, where you could always Oklahoma with the bullet, and then it was who else. And I think just projecting forward when Oklahoma and Texas depart, I, I think You're going to continue to see an even more competitive league just as you're bringing in schools that all recruit roughly in the same territory, let's say, when you're looking at the 24-7 composite rating and whatnot. It's going to be a fun conference. It's going to be a fun conference race this year. So that all being said… Andy, I, I do have to thank you again for, for being willing to come on here and give us your insight on the Hawks for, for 2022. Uh, looking forward to seeing improvement from Lance Leipold and his squad. Uh, before I cut you loose, though, uh, tell our listeners where can they find your content? Where are they, can they listen to you? Where, where are you at?
1: Yeah, I'm sure that all of your listeners want to go tag my tweet that I made over on the Rock Chalk podcast account. With old takes exposed, just know that it's already been done, probably about (laughs) fifty times already. But you guys are more than welcome to join the chorus of people that that are waiting, right, for that potentially to happen. But um, no, Rock Chalk Pod on Twitter, the 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 at Rock Chalk Pod is where I do most of my teams is tweeting. Um, I do also though cover all of the Big Twelve. I you know I try to be as objective as possible about most of the teams. Um, you know, Texas, I, I really don't care. I don't have to be objective about them. I don't think anybody does. but anyway, nope. um, <laughs> but no personal Twitter is at Andy Mitch 12. Again, I do talk a lot of my big 12 takes from there, whereas most of the Kansas stuff is restricted to rock chalk pod. But if you want to read more about Kansas, if you want to get more information about them, I also run the sports illustrated fan nation site that covers the Jayhawks. It's called blue wings rising, and you can go there at BlueWingsRising.com.
0: Had a great time talking KU football with Andy Mitts, host of the Rock Chalk podcast. Remember to follow him on Twitter at Andy AndyMitts12. That's Mitts with two T's. The podcast Twitter account is at Rock Chalk Pod. If you're looking to stay abreast of all the happenings in Lawrence and to keep a close eye on the folks to the East, he's going to have you covered throughout the course of the season. That is going to do it for this episode of the Know Your Enemy Big 12 preview series. Again, I am going to be bringing on a guest to discuss and break down each and every Big 12 squad ahead of the 2022 college football season. Those of you who have already streamed the handful of previews that have been pushed out, I can't thank you guys enough. And additionally, I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge the handful of tweets in which some of our listeners have tagged us. I've seen a lot of K-State fans asking for K-State specific podcast recommendations and Candidly, to be mentioned in the same breath as Bosco's Boys, Three Ma, Short Sight Option, Go Power Cat Podcast, Aggieville Alley Cats, Shaken Blake, Cocaine Willie, that's a newer one that's just come onto the scene here as of late. It's extremely rewarding to hear our show get thrown into the mix with all of those that I just mentioned. And Candidly, I'm not one who discriminates. I think each and every one of those shows brings a little something different to the table and can scratch whatever itch you might have as far as how you consume your K-State content, how you interact with the K-State fan community, and... That's something we're going to do more of this season on College and Kimball. We're going to be more interactive on Twitter in the days leading up to games and also post-game. We want to get fan reactions and make sure that we're engaging and interacting more with you guys, our listeners, in that capacity. So follow us on Twitter at college underscore Kimball. If you haven't had a chance to already, subscribe to our podcast. You shouldn't have any issue finding finding us on any of the major platforms. And additionally, if you have a few extra moments, we would certainly appreciate a rating and a review. All of the feedback means a great deal. Promise now. I'm done. Thank you guys again so much for listening. I am super stoked to start talking K-State football with Justin Nutter. We're going to be bringing three separate previews to you guys. We're going to do an offense-only preview, defense and special teams, and then we're going to do a Big 12 preview where we're going to give our outlook on the conference, as you would assume excited to bring all that content. It'll be showing up in your feed here shortly, so just hang on for a little bit longer, guys. I promise the K-State content is on the way, and we'll be bringing it to you in spades during the course of the season. With all that being said, I'm going to get off my soapbox, stop waxing poetic, and just say this, Cats, man. If you know, you know.